My name is Ashley, and this is Let's Talk Dispatch. I do. <laughs> You're going to do it. Do it really well. And I believe the world needs more dispatchers. years that I'm not working Fourth of July. Fourth of July. So on this show, with the help of my guests, we will educate, empower, and support the heroes behind the headset. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode here at Let's Talk Dispatch. Um, so happy to have you guys all here with me. I, you know, I just, it's so funny recording these intros because I, I obviously record early, then post them out later. Um, but as we're building this podcast, this following, you know, we're averaging about 400 downloads a week right now, which I think is amazing. Um, you know, that's 400. Uh, sets of ears that are hearing about this line of work, the wonderful work that all my guests are doing um, as far as dispatching, technology, so on and so forth. So again, thank you all so much for the support for the Let's Talk Dispatch podcast, really getting uh, the information out there to the folks who are really interested in learning about what we do as 911 dispatchers. Um, my guest today's personal mantra is always happy to help. Ida has spent 20 years as a 911 dispatcher and is coming up on her seventh year at Motorola Solutions. And she's going to talk to me about her professional life and or her experience as a 911 dispatcher and how that has moved into her new role with Motorola Solutions. Hello, hello. How are you? I am well, thank you. How are you? I am good. I am good. How's your day going? Pretty well. It's yeah. uh, really cold out here in Idaho. Oh, okay. So you are currently in Idaho. Yeah, I live in Idaho, right outside of Boise, Idaho. Oh, okay. So I went to school in Iowa. Um, so I definitely understand the cold weather that you guys get on that side. And it's wild. I don't think I can do snow. <laughs> permanently. <laughs> I tell people often that uh, when I started traveling, it, the uh, the weather in Wisconsin took me off guard because I thought I knew cold, but my coldest trip out there was minus 42 plus wind chill. And it was oh wow, absolutely stunningly cold. Oh my God. So I, I went to Iowa because I got, I played basketball and I remember specifically telling my coach at 7 a.m., during the winter that they left this out of the recruiting packet. It was negative 32 degrees and they're, this is the coldest winter we've had in years. I'm like, ah, is it? Is I bet you if I look up the weather last year, <laughs> it's probably this cold. I would need like 10 extra. I would have to get to practice 10 minutes early because I'd have like two layers of like long johns, socks, like, and they would, he would always like be mad at me. Like, why is it taking so long? I'm like, I have California skin. Not only do I have Bay Area skin, the weather doesn't change here. It stays pretty consistent. We are not used to the cold. In mm-hmm. fact, I remember my teammate, like one of the first like snows and the cars was ice. We were like hanging out the window, driving down the street because we hadn't figured out the ice scraper yet. Like we didn't, we didn't have <laughs> to use our car. You know, we were just 21, you know, going down the hill. 
And here you are all these years later, you 911 operators getting the call from the people saying, hey, there's these people that haven't scraped their window. Yeah. I, yeah. You know, now I live in California and I still have an ice scraper in my car as if it's going to ever get that cold here. Um, but now it's just a permanent fixture in my car because of that experience. I get that. I, I carried one in my suitcase. <laughs> See? Yeah. Very smart. Very smart. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself. How'd you get into public safety and what's your story? So uh, I come from a very small town in Idaho and my way to get out of town was to join the military. So I went straight from nowhere, Idaho, uh, kind of near the Oregon border to boot camp, went through my military career and I was a radio operator on a missile site over uh, in Germany off of the old Czechoslovakian border. And it was a very interesting career. Mm-hmm. Came back and became a legal secretary, which I thought was probably the most boring job in the entire world. And I saw, a, I, actually, I was one of those people. I saw an ad for a 911 dispatcher and I thought, well, I can take my legal background. I can take my radio operator background. I can put them together. Uh, in 1992, I applied and got hired onto our local sheriff's department. Uh, we did police, fire, and EMS there. Mm. Um, everything was on cards. It was all paper and pen. We wrote everything down. We had maps. I, I was just at a, an agency not a couple weeks ago, and they are also just coming off a of paper and pen. And I was explaining to them how our maps would lean over our console. And when you had a pursuit, that's how you followed the pursuit. Oh, my gosh. You would be standing up looking at it. And at that time, we had to do um, actual map tests, too. You had to be able to look at a section of the county and, and fill in the roads mm-hmm. that were on that section of the county. So it was just very different back then. But I took to it and I, I liked it. I liked helping. I liked being a part of something bigger than myself. And I really liked the camaraderie in first in the whole public safety arena. Um, so I stayed there for a couple of years and then I went to a, a local police department and I finished out, um, let's see, two years at the sheriff's department, 20 years on the desk at the police department, and then two extra years as the uh, manager of a records division. Mm. So you have been you have been putting in work all over the place, all, all all the different types of dispatching. And I mean, I can imagine that going from, you know, your military experience to that legal aid position or legal position like that has to be like a real big change in adrenaline. And like so I, I could only imagine why you were like, I got to get out of here. I got to find something that's a little more uh, heart racing. Right. And yeah. I, I feel like most people or a good amount of people do. They just kind of stumble into what we do here. They do. It was also good for me because I was a single mom at the time and I had a two-year-old and four-year-old and it was 12 hours shifts were great. I had plenty of time off with my kids and it just was, it was a good fit at that time. Yeah. So let's talk about the technology because I have said, multiple times like I don't know if I could have done this job without the technology we have today obviously I grew up with like MapQuest like that was my job in the car um you know my dad would print it out and I would read it like that was my task so I have I think a little better understanding about maps than maybe 
folks nowadays who are coming up are because they're a little more uh, far out from it. But like we had to do map books at my first agency. We had to know kind of how just in case our tech went down. And it's crazy. Like, I just don't know if I could follow a pursuit on something that isn't telling me where my officers are as well, you know? And then you're depending on them to know where they are. Like, they don't know where they are. <laughs> no, they do not know where they are. I, I think that something that's really interesting, too, is that at the police department, when I started there, we dispatched fire as well. And we would have to look up a map page for them when we dispatched out a call. So you're taking the call. You're creating the call and you're also looking up this map page for them. And I always thought, well, why aren't they looking up the map page? There's multiple people in their truck. Why am I looking at the map page? But yeah, we, we know how it goes, but yeah. So it's very interesting to me. And I'm, I'm completely, I am a Star Trek junkie. I, I am completely upfront about that. And I, you know, as a as a kid, I watched all this stuff on Star Trek that was, you know, something we were never going to do, like talking into your watch. But <laughs> today I'm, I'm looking at, you know, agencies that are this agency that just came off a of paper and pen and they're going to a computer dispatch center. And then through um, the last year with my team, I've been working with uh, some software that is cloud base and it's for dispatch centers mm-hmm. and we have the 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 technology that is coming into the modern day dispatch centers to me is it's it's mind blowing there's there's the ability for a dispatcher to take a 911 call and then if you're on your cell phone she can she or he can send you a link and you hit it and you can start videoing that crime scene. And that just drops right into evidence. There's the ability to have that 911 call being translated, transcribed right as you're taking it and have it highlight, watch for words and highlight, like if they have a gun, Mm -hmm. if there's shooting. um, And the, the, the amount of technology now that people are going to start being availed to as as agencies start to transition more over to technical, I see as I look in at dispatchers, it's going to change the way that they interact with, with the world. This concept of dispatchers being answering the phone, that's what they do. They just answer the phone. They're, they were already doing so much, whether you're, you're working your, your foot pedal and you're listening, you're typing, you're listening to your partner behind you, you're looking at the map, all of that stuff already but now we're giving you more tools and it's, it's good, but it's also very interesting. Mm-hmm. And I know like one of the fears I think that a lot of dispatchers have with this, I'm, I'm a technology person. Like I love tech. I love hearing about new tech that's being utilized in our centers. Um, and I know there's a lot of dispatchers who are nervous about the idea of like, video dispatching like you call 911 and that you can see the person like a facetime right but for the 911 dispatcher what what are your thoughts on like that kind of technology and is that something that might be coming sooner than later in our centers and one of the things that i like about the product that i work with it's called a citizen input is that the dispatcher doesn't have to look at it if they don't want to 
they can have that still sent. It can still drop into the evidence for digital evidence, but the dispatcher doesn't have to be watching it as it un unveils. Okay. And I was always one of those people in the center. I didn't want to look at pictures. I didn't want to see, I didn't go through mug shots. I didn't look mm -hmm. at, you know, things, but th there's, there's very different ways of thinking about that. Some dispatchers, if they're already, you know, if that's something that they want to to, to be involved in. This is really awkward right here. Sorry. No, you're fine. Um, <laughs> it, it, I like the fact that you don't have to look at it. You don't have to be engaged in that if you don't want to. Mm -hmm. And I think there, that, I think that's good to have those kind of safety nets, right? Because I think in this line of work, there's a lot of things we don't have control over. Um, including the trauma we're exposed to. So if there's something that we can limit or manage or, you know, um, run through a funnel so we have a little more control over the amount of trauma we're experiencing, you know, for ourselves in that instance, I think that's only going to help in the longevity of that dispatcher's career, um, as well as provide that evidence and that those that documentation needed for the call still, right? Right. So what would you say is the biggest difference between the technology when you started versus now? <laughs> so when I started, uh, when we got our very first computer, it was, you know, the big box computer and it had uh, a black screen with the green mm -hmm. um, typing, the green print. And all we could do was just run people in-house from it. I am thankful that I was not part of the era where they had the ticker tape that the the ATLs would come out oh, on yeah, and they'd have yeah, to read yeah. the ticker tape. Okay. <laughs> I miss that, thankfully. Um, but now when you're in a dispatch center, I mean, when we look at technology like Rapid SOS mm -hmm. and you can see right there where your caller is, is calling from before you ever engage with that caller, um, being able to see the AVL, we didn't know where our, where any cars were when I very first started. So I started in 1992. I don't think we had AVL till early. Yeah. I don't even know when we got AVL. So uh -huh. we didn't, they, they could be anywhere all the time. Um, just one of the things that, that I think about as I'm looking at consoles now is there's so much visual information available you don't have to think so hard about what you're trying to track anymore, whether it's, you know, your calls are turning a color, they're moving on your screen, you can see where your cops are, your map can zoom to where it needs to go. It's just, it's amazing now what technology can do for us. Mm -hmm. And I mean, even the technology that's coming out in, in the world, like I've had, like last week, I had two calls uh, from automated iPhones like this caller has been involved in a crash and is not responding. Now, disclaimer, most of the time it's accidental and it can be quite bothersome. But <laughs> when it is real, like what awesome technology is that, right? That someone's calling for help when you can't yourself, you know? Um, and it's just like when those drop in my hair, I'm like, this is, this is crazy. Like years ago, you wouldn't have thought that, our phones would automatically, they would detect a crash. So not even the fact that you were like trying to call and it called anyways, like it felt an impact. It's like, oh, that was a big impact. Let me check on them. And they're not responding. Okay, we're going to call help. Like 
That's insane. <laughs> I was going to say for me, it would be falling down on the sidewalk and I'm trying to figure out how to get up without embarrassing myself further. That would be the impact right <laughs> no, there. But I remember when um, that emergency call thing started showing up on my iPhone and people were going, it'll call you or they were saying, you know, you can hold down. I think the, the call button or something, it would call and I'd be like, no, it won't. No, it won't. And so I finally tried it for myself. And it was like, like now we're emergency. I'm like, okay, I'm saying that that does work. <laughs> it does work. Oh, look at that. <laughs> <laughs> it does. Yeah. But of course I was a dispatcher. So I had to confirm for myself. Right. You know, I, I hear you because <laughs> I mean, there are some things, even with the technology that we use that I, so I've been doing this for about five years now, going on five years. And even in the amount of time that I've been here, the tech, like the rapid SOS started coming out. The text to 911 started being a thing. Yes. Um, like that has been in the last five years or so that at least at the departments that I've worked at, I'm sure they've been trickling. Um, but, you know, I worked at a pretty big agency in Sacramento and we got it within the four years that I was there. So it's just, it's what it's wild how long it takes for the tech to come to us. And then it's also amazing the tech that we are receiving, right? Yes. And there's a couple things I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about um, back, I took a call from a hearing impaired person hmm. and they were reporting a, a reckless driver and they had followed them. And I, I'm thinking about how long that conversation took us because we had to go back and forth between me and the translator and, mm -hmm. and the caller. And it just was a very long call. And this whole text to 911 thing is just so much faster. It, it really is. It re you know, I, I have had people send me, you know, links to their mixtapes, um, which, you know, <laughs> we, we don't get to listen to. So if you're sending that, you know, <laughs> refrain. Um, but when they are, I've also had people report things that they're like witnessing at a bar and they don't want to, you know, call the like people are drunk, they're starting into a fight and they'll, they'll text it. And, you know, for folks who aren't very familiar with the text to 911 realm, A, it's not available everywhere. So definitely make sure, you know, um, that it is servicing an area that you are utilizing it in. If you do text to 911, it should kick back an error message of some sort saying it did not go through if it is not serviced in that area. Um, but if you do utilize it, it's just like making a 911 call. You know, they're going to ask what all the, all the W's, where are you? What's going on? And I think that could be a little hard for citizens as well. Cause they're like fight and you're like, where? And then, and then there's like this delay and you're waiting and you're waiting as a dispatcher. And they're like, this bar and you're like, okay, can you confirm the address? You know, you still got to do all the steps. Um, so if you are using that service, understand we still have to ask all the questions <laughs> in the manner because it can be a slower process, though safer for the person using it or more accessible. Before we continue, we wanted to take a moment to thank our partners at Prepared. You can learn more about the awesome support and technology Prepared provides to first responders by heading to prepared911.com. Partners like Prepared help to continue our mission of supporting, empowering, and educating the heroes under the headset. You can learn more about our resources and partnerships by heading to theraspydispatcher.com. Now let's get back to the show. 
Yes. And I think I just was listening to something the other day that said that the technology that brought about text to 911 was started um, with people who had hearing problems. Mm. And I was like, it's amazing how things that become very useful, they start in a different way. And then they just, they, they, mm, they just come into mainstream technology and we Mm. don't even think about where they originated from. Yeah. And you know, for just the accessibility of it, I think, when you when you have the ability to make a typical 911 call, you don't consider not being able to, right? So the fact that um, we are getting this technology, this accessible technology, is really great. And we, we should have had it a long time ago, right? This isn't a new problem for folks. This is yeah. definitely something that we should have had a long time ago. Um, but luckily, it is coming to light now. And, and folks who... Uh, can't make the traditional 911 call, do you have that option for the text to 911 options? Yes, it's funny. It's uh, interesting to me that you say, you know, you have to ask all those same questions. And I'm thinking in my head, they don't like it when they call 911 and we have to ask all those questions. <laughs> Just get somebody here. I know, but I start to ask all the same questions. I know. I had I had a caller, I had a caller call uh, recently and they were reporting a, a reckless driver and they thought, they thought they were intoxicated. And so whenever someone thinks someone's intoxicated, I always like to clarify why they think that, right? Did you see them with the white claw out the window, swinging their Nissan Altima? Or is there something else that's going on that's making you, you know, assume that they might be intoxicated? And they were not happy with the fact that I was asking those clarifying questions because, you know, um, it does make a difference if you see someone drinking alcohol versus you see them kind of swerving in the lanes. They could be elderly. They could be having a medical. The possibilities are endless to mm-hmm. ask to why, um, you know, that is occurring. So when your dispatcher is asking you these questions, there is a reason, I promise. It's not that we don't believe you. We, right. we believe that you believe that person is intoxicated. What I'm trying to figure out is what made you get there so I can communicate that to the folks I, I'm going to send this to. Um, I promise um, I care just as much as you did to make the phone call. That is why I'm asking the questions. But people do get frustrated with the, the line of questions that we have sometimes. They do. And then I also am thinking, and that person that you're giving that call to is going to ask you as well, well, can you tell me why they think they're intoxicated? What? <laughs> The, the units that I'm dispatching to are going to ask 400 more questions than I ask you. So I promise. This is right. for both of us. This is so when they ask me the silly question, I can say, I asked it. Yep. And it, it's funny. I've been out of dispatch for six years. It still sounds exactly the same. Oh, my gosh. It's so, or, or I will answer the question already in the initial dispatch, and then they'll ask me the same question. I'm like, all right, you weren't listening to me. That's cool. I'll go again. Well, we'll tell you again. It's a silver Nissan Altima with, you know. And when we talk about technology and how it's changed things, having a, a computer in the car that has a map in it, that saved, where am I going? Where am I going? Where am I going? That saved that. Because oh. it could look you down know, and see. I wouldn't even think about that. I wouldn't even think. I know they ask sometimes, like, to clarify the 
the apartment number or the suite number when they're already out of the car. Uh, but the idea of them not having a visual representation of where they're heading is like, it's not the world of dispatch that I've grown up in, you know? So yeah. I couldn't even imagine. I've, I've actually done a ride along with an officer who had like a, uh, they had like a little GPS thing they would bring in with them into their, into their car. So when they would go pursuits, their map would be a little clearer. And so they could call it out a little better. And I was just like, it's just so the technology that, I mean, we need that in the car. So you have to get, bring an extra tool with you, but just the fact that we have this at our, our fingertips, like now it's officer safety, you know, ease. I mean, it just all plays into it. It does. And it's, it's, very interesting how how fast everything is changing. It's just racing. Technology seems to be racing right now. Mm. And so when we talk about the cloud, right? I feel mm. like I feel like people are a little sketchy about the cloud as far as when we're talking about because I just feel like our our systems are so impacted, right? They have all these files and you know they want our CAD to work with our records and um, mm -hmm. our phones. And, you know, so the idea of our tech going all into the cloud, which what, what's the cloud? No one understands the cloud. What's the cloud? We don't know what the cloud is. <laughs> like what, what is the, I would say, benefit of a department choosing? Because I think a lot of departments are having this debate, right? When we're talking about upgrading their systems or switching to new CAD systems, going cloud-based or not. What is the benefit or the difference um, with the cloud-based systems that are available now to dispatch centers? I think I heard a statistic that during the pandemic, 29% of dispatch centers were able to go remote. And if you're in the cloud, you can go remote without having to have those physical connectors. Now, you still have the considerations for you have to be able to you know, have it secure. You have to have NCIC protections and all of that. And I had heard that, you know, dispatchers that were working from home had to have a place where they could lock the room up, you know, only they had access to it. But the 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 cloud makes it so much more versatile. So in if I talk Motorola, and let me just clarify, I am not a techie person. <laughs> I love technology. I love to teach software, but if you had me hooking up networks, we'd be in big trouble. <laughs> I just want to clarify that. Um, but it allows, we we used to be able to hook up a lot of Motorola solutions um, softwares to each other, but now we can connect to even more third-party um, solutions. As long as they'll let us access their software, mm -hmm. we can connect across several of our cloud products, mm. which is, again, that's, it just is, it allows the, I, I always tell people I'm not ever trying to upsell them mm -hmm. because I understand and I appreciate that the fact that uh, agencies have to get money, a lot of money from their citizens for software and they want to mm -hmm. get the, their money's worth out of it. And nobody wants to be replacing things all the time. So if we can take what you already have and we can connect it to another solution that makes it easier for you to do your job at your console, that's a win for both sides of the table. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I, I think that's amazing. And when when you say this stat about remote dispatching, I heard that too, that a lot of folks were doing the home dispatching and uh, some departments did it. And I was just like, 
I could not, could you imagine dispatching in your PJs? Like just chilling on, you know, like just, oh, like I, like my, my brain goes to like the worst, worst calls ever that I've ever experienced. And I'm like, could I imagine taking that call in my living room? At least like when I'm in my center, I can like stand up and mute and yell, like send them this way or like something's going on. You know, I can <laughs> alert the folks, but if I'm just yelling and my dog's the only one in the room, I'm just <laughs> Just I, I would be anxious because I like the team aspect and the support. Um, but I can take a non-emergency calls from my, my couch all day long. I think I think that's something I'd sign up for. <laughs> I don't know how I would have been at it. Even I've been working from home for a year and I still get dressed every day to go to work mm, because yeah. I need that mindset and I have a specific place I have to be in order to to engage that fully without yeah. being completely distracted. But yeah, I I can tell you that even when I started way back when, we all talked about being at home in that recliner that'll kick all the way back and our screens would be right here and we'd be able to be dispatching remotely. And oh my it's, God. It's, still a, it's still a dream out there, I think. Yeah, I mean, and I definitely think some centers can do it. I mean, I think if you are, if you're not so impacted with high priority calls after another, after another, I definitely think it's a world that can exist. It's just a world I'm a little nervous for. I don't know if I, I don't know if I'm ready for all that, all that trust, but. We, we talk a lot or I talk a lot about the, the success of projects often is about procedure and policies. How are we going to do it? We have tools. We can give lots of people tools. We can give you things that'll make things easier, but deciding how to do it, traveling across the United States, I've seen everything in hundreds of dispatch centers. And it's just very interesting to me how everybody sets things up differently. Mm-hmm. And I remember that it's, it, for me, I always thought that everybody did things the same way I did. This is how we did it at my agency. So you must do it at your agency the same way. And when I started traveling around and meeting all these dispatchers and seeing all the different ways they did things, I was so stunned. Yeah. And I mean, even for me, I I lateraled, you know, from my agency to my current agency and even just seeing the difference that occurs from those two agents. Like I thought I had it down. At my last agency, I was like, oh, I'm the best dispatch in the world. I'm great. And then I got to my new agency. I was like, I swear I was good at this before. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Why is this so different? So difficult. Like, and, and it's true because everybody does think even codes, you know, my old agency did nine codes. Only one of two agencies in my area who does it. And I, of course, started the one who does nine codes. So then when the new agency I went to, I had to learn 10 codes. And I was just like, well, this is terrible. I got to learn this whole new language, basically. And at my old agency, we didn't run folks out. We had a warrant channel that did that. So my new agency, I'm running people out. I'm learning to read these NCIC hits that are in a whole nother language. Like, I don't know who works at NCIC and when we're talking about technology, but I'm going to need us to upgrade that that system because sometimes I'm like, is that, I don't, is that it? And and then the long ones that just keep going, you're like, uh, I think they're they're negative. Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah. out of Arkansas. I don't like, and having to even like send these, um, like admin messages and they're all like, we're not free form yet. It's all like line by line by line. And I'm like, this has to just be some coding. Like, again, I'm, I like tech. I'm not great. I had a MySpace at one point, so I'm sure I have a little coding experience. But there's got to just be a switch of a code where we can just turn that line to a box, where we can just freeform it. But, I mean, but again, it just goes back to our technology is so slow coming in the masses, right, through um emergency services because you're still helping folks come off paper and i think like that's wild to me in my head again i don't think i can do this job on paper i have successfully avoided manual mode my entire well twice i've had to do it for like two seconds so i've avoided it i do not want to experience it it is something i can live without and the fact that folks are still working that way i just or who can't map their officers. I mean, it's it's scary almost, I would say. Like, we have all this tech. Why are we, you know, why don't we have it in every single one? I remember I was in a training or a meeting. It must have been a training right before I left law enforcement. And I remember hearing a dispatcher in this training talking about her officers not having contact with her for like two hours sometimes in rural Idaho. And if they needed something, they'd have to go to somebody's house to make a phone call because they didn't have any radio connection and no cell service. And I remember thinking, I don't know how you do it. Yeah. I would just be so worried because I always felt so responsible. Yeah. The anxiety that must, I mean, I guess if if that's the reality, you live in it, right? But God, not hearing from them for that long. I I don't, I, I'd be like, go three, go that way, look for them, find them. I don't know where they are, go find them. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, in the, in the old days, we used to do grid searches when, when somebody wasn't answering their radio. We would, we would triangulate from where they were on their last call when they um, cleared. And then we would start looking at how much time it had been. And then we'd start sending officers to go look and then close that grid. And, and that would be your responsibility to set out that grid for the officers? We started the started it. The shift commander would, you know, direct. We we never had full control of that. But, yeah. you know, that's that's how we would start it out. And it was and every time that I had to do that, it was somebody who would turned their radio off mm-hmm. and they forgot to turn it back on when they got in their car. But it was it was very nerve wracking. Uh, yeah, I mean, I could only imagine. I mean, even now, you know, I'll ha- I had someone key up and, um, you know, status, status, no answer. And someone, oh, I'll, I'll tell my partner, like, can you call them? Like, they're they're not on the board. They're not on a call. So I'm not too worried, but I'm going to have to start beeping out and doing all this nonsense. And they call, they're like, oh, I'm getting burritos. I must have clicked my mic. And I'm like. First of all, bring a burrito up here as a sorry first. Not good. <laughs> but that whole time, like the anxiety that goes up because you kick into your process, right? Whatever your agency tells you what to do. And it's typically, I would say, generally like, blah, blah, blah. Do you have traffic? Blah, blah, blah. No answer. Beep. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, units to start, you know, beepers on, you know, we're looking for person and then they'll call them up 
traffic for that and you're like yes beepers on for you <laughs> like good and they're like oh yeah no i'm fine i'm like beepers off everything's fine but like the anxiety that happens during because ne- you never know nowadays especially you just you never know what's going on out there and what they're dealing with i agree 100 percent. which would lead me to more technology that uh one of the things that I've heard is that some dispatchers will start to be able to view body camera footage when the body camera is turned on. And I, I've thought to myself, I don't really even understand how that would have been impacted me as a dispatcher and how, how I would like that. Cause I'm already involved in the call and my imagination is making up its own story, mm-hmm. but now I'm putting that visual to it. So I, I I stay consistently intrigued by the technologies that are coming out. You know, I think I would I would appreciate the after the fact access to it. I don't know how I would feel watching it during it because I almost feel like it's invading their <laughs> my officer's <laughs> privacy, right? Because, you know, they act a certain way when they're out there in the field doing their job, trying to gain control, trying to create relationships, trust, all that. I don't know. Like, I wouldn't want someone watching me dispatch, like, you know, over my shoulder or something like that. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. How I, but I like to watch it after the fact. I would for sure, like, what happened? Let me see that call. Like, I love when I'm able to see the body worn for some of our, our crazy calls. Um, I don't know. During it? Uh, I don't know. I feel weird. Like, can they hear me? Can they, can they see? <laughs> you know, like. Would you be at yelling them? at the screen? Right? Like, would it be like a basketball game? And I'm like rooting for folks. And like, we're in a light pursuit. And I'm like, oh, we got to work. We got to work. We're out of shape here. We can see we need to work out more. You know? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. And, and you know, in 1992, when I started, I never thought about body-worn cameras. I never thought about being more than an ear, you know, a voice in their ear. That's what that's basically what we were at that time. Yeah. And I would say that it's probably because at my last agency, I didn't know a lot of my officers unless they happened to be working in the beat where my comm center was because we were we were a clean bathroom for them to stop at. So they would come into our comm center a lot. Um, but here at my new agency, I know a lot of these folks. I know about their kids. I know about their personal lives, you know. So I think there's just a different level of that. Like when they do go to a, a hot call, not that I didn't care before. It's just now I have all this backstory with the folks that I'm sending out. So the level of care um, is more personal, you know, than like, this is my job. I'm going to make sure you like this, like, no, this is Billy. And I'm going to make sure Billy gets home to, you know, the wife, the kid, the dog and the rabbit that they don't want, but they have because their kid found it outside. You know, like I know all of those. And I think that can make the job more difficult, but also more rewarding, right? Like I love the fact that I have the relationship that I do with, all the folks uh, who are out there in the field. Um, but I don't know if I'd want to see them doing that job in the moment that they're doing it because I know them. All right. What advice would you give someone considering a career in dispatch? Know that you're going to need a tough skin and it's not 
just because you're going to work with some people who are going to rub you wrong. They (laughs) may not be easy to get along with. They may have come from completely different backgrounds than you. They may have no life knowledge, Mm. but the callers also never call you on their best days. Mm. And I sometimes will just, I call them the ghost of calls past that just float up. They'll always be with me. Mm-hmm. And no matter what I do, I was a part of that person's life during a especially traumatic event for them. And they became traumatic events for me too, because I, I was involved as part of that. So understand that, that even though dispatchers coming into the profession today are getting a whole, I hope they're getting a whole different education about building that resiliency and they're getting better education about, Hey, you know, you got to take care of yourself. You cannot identify as I'm a dispatcher. You're a person who works as a dispatcher. And I think that, that understanding that when people talk to you about really, you got to take time off. You cannot work tons and tons of overtime. You have to eat well, you have to get rest. Those are things that, that, they have to they have to really focus on if they want to have a long fruitful career because the inside stuff will get to you and the outside stuff will get to you definitely it's so true and with all that being said how do you feel the job has changed you i mean you've gone you know from the military into this type of career uh, all the technology the changes in the world let alone in the comm centers how do you think this job has changed you? So I went from 911 and law enforcement, which law enforcement changed while I was in law enforcement. We had our police department shot at while we were at work. We had a, a homemade bomb put right outside of our, wow. our dispatch center. Um, we, you know, we had to cross the street to go to where we were parked and we were scared of that. Thankfully, we got a, a new building before I left. And so We already had some of that, but I went from law enforcement where you have this, you know, super hyper vigilance to traveling across the United States 42 weeks a year. Mm -hmm. And everybody to me is possibly doing something. I'm always hyper vigilant. I'm always watching. I'm always anticipating. I'm always um, trying to make sure I'm not putting myself in situations where I'm going to have problems. I'm a, my favorite story about this is I'd been out on on the road as a trainer. We would go mostly by ourselves if we were training, if we were doing go lives with the software, then we went with a team, but you'd still get assigned to night shift. And I was working at this um, agency outside of uh, Matson, Illinois, which is in the Chicago area. And I was working the night shift. I think we were scheduled. I was, I was training till I think three o'clock in the morning and they told me, do not go behind the hotel where you're staying because that's where most of the, the uh, violent homeless are. Hmm. So, you know, where is open to park when you get off work at three o'clock in the morning? <laughs> I would just be like, I'm just going to pray myself into that hotel. <laughs> I was really quiet. Oh I, yeah, I'm really quiet when I shut the doors. I don't slam my trunk. All of those things are yeah. things that are because I was a 911 operator. Mm-hmm. It, it is so true because even like my fiance, like we have this debate all the time. I'm like, 
Take your phone with you. You can go outside. Go outside. Take you'd walk in the dog. Go in the mailbox. Why? Why aren't we bringing our phone? I mean, I, I don't. <laughs> such a simple thing. You never know what's gonna happen. And they're always like, "It's gonna be fine." I'm like, "But <laughs> yeah, and there is the possibility that it's not fine." Um, <laughs> my husband but, goes to the store, comes home. I have the door locked. He's like, "Why do you lock the door?" Right. Because like, I'm in the house by myself. Oh, my God. Yesterday, I came home. I worked um, my short day. So I, I only worked six hours. And I came home. So I probably got home around 1230. And I go to open the door. And it's, like, slightly open. Like, it's like they tried to close it. But it didn't close all the way. And I open the door. And they're on the couch, like, eating. And I'm like, where'd you? Um, are we just letting anybody in here? Like, what? what is going on? They're like, oh, I guess I didn't close it all the way. And I'm like, what, what do you mean? And your dispatcher brain already went to, oh my gosh, there are so many things that could have happened. Right? And in our area, because we're in the Bay Area, there's there's a lot of unhoused folks who kind of roll around right next to the dumpster in our property. They're like, come on, man. It'll just take someone to, is that slightly open? So we always have like the awareness It just not on the same level as I would say a, a dispatchers. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Oh man. All right. So I think one of the final questions I want to ask you, and it's something that I think a lot of um, folks who have been in the game a long time and they're, when they're thinking about what to do next is what, what has life after dispatch been like for you? You know, you finally pulled that trigger and you left actually answering 911 calls. Of course, you're still in the in the realm and, and helping folks in centers and, and bringing that technology with Motorola um, into our centers. But how was that change for you? And how has it been since making that change? It was difficult. When you leave an agency, it's, it's often like getting a divorce because they stay in the same the same, you know, routine, they're still showing up, they're still going to calls and you're not, you're not on the inside anymore of, uh, of what's going on. And when big cases happen, you don't really have anybody to call and go, what happened with that? Cause you're not on the in, in anymore. And that was super hard for me. Um, especially after being with these people for 22 years, I, I went from a, a agency that that's like what you're talking about. We had, you know, just a few sworn. We had just a few dispatchers. We knew their wives. We knew their kids. We knew all about them. We had, I think, three people on a shift when I started there. Mm. And one of them was a lieutenant, a sergeant, and then a patrolman. Mm. And when I left, we had four shifts of eight wow. that we were running per day. And so we had the reverse. We we went from this family structure where we all knew each other to we didn't know anybody. People mm. would just we just didn't get to know them. And part of it was because when they built the new police department, patrol was on the first floor and dispatch was on the third floor. Mm-hmm. So patrol's not coming up to the third floor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that I am extremely, extremely blessed that I was able to move into the same software that I worked with at my agency. And then I was able to take all of that experience that I had as a dispatcher with the software that we had used for a long time, and then be able to teach it to other people. The Mm -hmm. scary part was I had to learn the parts of the software I didn't know because Mm -hmm. they weren't dispatch related. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know what to do with evidence. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> not my job. <laughs> yeah. And the first time I, I watched a jail class, I'm like, oh, you have to you have to take clothes from them and give them clothes. I've never thought about that. I was never a jailer. So yeah. um, but I I think that I think that there's a there's a significant amount of dispatchers that get into dispatch and they feel trapped because they're really good at it. Mm-hmm. And they're we, we know that the high statistic is that, you know, lots of people wash out of training, but there is life after dispatch and you can stay engaged with the community. You can use that experience that you've gained at your at your agency and you can use that to help other people on a wider scale, whether it's working with the software, whether it's it's working with something that's connected to dispatch. Um, if I wasn't doing this, I probably would be doing some type of working towards a therapy type um, job to work with people Mm -hmm. because I always loved that part of talking uh, to people as well to try to help them solve things. But now I just get to solve things with law enforcement and I understand their language. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I would, I always encourage people. I I always say there is life after dispatch. It's Mm -hmm. just hard to think about it because we get locked into it's a good Sometimes it's a good paycheck. Sometimes it's not a good paycheck. Mm -hmm. It is, you know, your holidays, it's your benefits. It's shifts, 12 hour shifts for me as a, as a single mom were great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can imagine, like I get, I get uh, Christmas day off this year. And for the first time in like five years, I'm getting weekends off during my next shift cycle. And I'm like, this is, this is wild. Like this is a whole new world. Um, but it's so true. Like the, the, there are such benefits that think can get us locked in. Then if we're, if you are a dispatcher who is in the place of you're feeling burnt out, you're feeling like, you know, every single call is a bother rather than help helping folks, you know, like you said, there is life after dispatch and there are these wonderful companies like Motorola solutions that, really value the experience and the knowledge that dispatchers have gained over their career. And they do find value of putting them into roles um, to help affect other comm centers within their technology, Um, which I think is awesome. And it's something that I am learning more about by doing this. Let's talk dispatch stuff, right? You know, I'm meeting folks that are working at these different companies and um, that's another reason, like, I like meeting with especially businesses because people might want to be done with answering 911, but still want to be in this line of work in some way, shape, or form and don't know how to do it. And us having this conversation may have someone go apply for Motorola Solutions, you know? And I think that's awesome. Absolutely. I, I think one of the other things that I just would chime in is that when we talk about burnout, I think one of the other things that new people should know is that you're going to hit walls. Mm-hmm. If you're going to have a long career, I, can I just say that these women that are retiring from dispatch, they have my complete respect. <sighs> these women and men, I just, I'm so in awe of them. But they had to go through their burnout times, too, and they had to find a way to continue past that. So you have to be able to anticipate and and know that you're going to hit those walls Mm -hmm. and you can work through them if that's something that you want to continue on with. There's no shame in leaving dispatch, even though I think all of us feel a little bit like, oh, I'm not doing it anymore. But 
there, there really is life after dispatch and it's been fun. I have so enjoyed meeting all these dispatchers, all these law enforcement folks around the country and the travel has been amazing. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's like having friends everywhere. It's the best. That's awesome. I mean, you know, the world needs more dispatchers, but we need happy dispatchers, right? We need folks to love what they're doing. Like you said, take care of their bodies physically, mentally. I mean, it's all taxing. So um, it's, I think it's, it's important and it's valid that we, we acknowledge all that when we're talking about getting more, more of these butts in the seats because they are needed. But if you're in it for, you know, more, that is okay as well. Absolutely. And I just want to say, I think that what you're doing is amazing. I love your slogan. I think that we do need more dispatchers. I think that the the dispatchers of the future are going to look a little different. Mm -hmm. They're going to come in more technologically um, already knowledgeable. And they're just going to have all these really great tools. Yeah, just, they really are. Yeah, it's it's amazing to me. Uh, I think I'll be jealous. I want I want to be able to like dispatch like... Um what is it, Tony Stark, you know, and the, you know, <laughs> what have you, you go there, you go there. All right. I got 911 call coming in, you know? Yeah. I'm, I'm all for that. I'm going to be like a hundred years old in the centers, like playing with that technology, you know? <laughs> I I do. I, I a hundred percent do. And I, yeah, when I moved over to this new software, I was like, oh, I don't know. And then I was just like, I'm in, I'm a hundred percent in. So awesome. Well, thank you so much, Ida, for coming out and chatting with me today about all this awesome software. If folks want to talk to you more about Motorola Solutions, where do they go? How do they get in touch? Um, they can, my uh, email, they can email my personal account, which is uh, idabeans at iCloud.com. Um, if they're already Motorola uh, Solutions customers, they can get more information through their customer success folks. Awesome. Perfect. All right. I'm going to kick you out and I'll be right back with you. All right. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us on another episode here. Let's talk dispatch. Ida, thank you again for joining me today, telling me about your awesome career and just really acknowledging and educating me about how far our technology has come as 911 dispatchers over the years. I really enjoyed learning about that. I really enjoy technology and I'm really excited to see what the future holds for tech and 911 dispatch. Um, of course, like, subscribe, tell a friend, check out our Patreon. And until next time, stay raspy, everybody. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Let's Talk Dispatch. Don't forget to subscribe on YouTube at The Raspy Dispatcher. Follow us on Instagram and check out Let's Talk Dispatch anywhere you listen to podcasts. I'll see you next.